What's up, crew? Welcome to Filming in Progress, the show that takes you backstage into the world of local businesses and the people who make them shine. Meet Mark Raffin, founder and CEO of Negotiations Ninja, offering world-class negotiation training tailored to diverse needs. As a seasoned entrepreneur, sales and procurement veteran, and recognized negotiation expert, Mark has navigated C-suite negotiations across various industries. Renowned for hosting top negotiation podcasts and recognized in publications like Entrepreneur and Forbes, Mark brings his expertise to deliver engaging and market-relevant training to executives and teams in some of the world's largest companies. All right, man. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm excited for it. Uh, tell me, how'd you get started in negotiations? Oh, how far back do you want to go? I come from a conflict-oriented household. And whenever I say that out loud, it sounds terrible because people automatically assume that that means I must have had like a terrible childhood, but I totally didn't. It's just that everyone in my family always speaks their mind 100% of the time. So no one is ever unsure about where they stand with each other at any point in any of the relationships that we have with each other, which makes for an interesting way to grow up because there's no words that are held back, which means that there's conflict, but there's also resolution to the process. And so I've always been in and around that environment. And so for a lot of people, when they hear that, they're like, oh, that's the opposite to how I grew up, right? Like things weren't said, things were withheld. And so a lot of people, when they go, get into you know, university or a professional career or something like that, or they start their own business, they have to learn a lot about how to handle conflict. I had to do the opposite. I actually had to learn how to tone back and tone down how I interacted with people. So for me, it's been sort of a lifetime of that. Uh, my first job right out of university and throughout university was in sales. Then I went into procurement, so both sides of the conversation, negotiating. And then decided for, uh, it was about six years ago, that I didn't want to do the corporate thing anymore. I didn't want to be the corporate guy. I'd always worked in Fortune 500 or bigger. And you really, at least I felt like I was a number at that point in time. I didn't have the impact that I was trying to make. So I wanted to do my own thing and started this negotiation training business actually on a bit of a dare in a bar. Uh, as all good sh stories should start, it started in a bar uh, where I was having a few drinks with a few buddies and was complaining about the fact that there's no great negotiation content out there. Like, it's not engaging. It's not interesting. I don't want to listen to it. It's out there, but it's not great. And they, as all good friends should, they said, well, don't moan about it, right? Like, do something about it because we're not going to sit here and let you moan about it. So I had a few more drinks and decided that was a great idea. And that's exactly what I was gonna do. And then I went onto Amazon that night and bought all of the wrong podcasting stuff and spent way too much money. And the next day, the Negotiations Ninja podcast was born and that led to the Negotiations Ninja training company. And now we train some of the largest companies in the world on how to negotiate. Wow. It's super, super fascinating how things are born. Like, it's what, a, what an incredible story. Uh, you said in there, too, that you, you learned to actually tone down. Yeah. I, I'm curious. There must be a story I'm behind I'm learning that. to tone down. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've, 
look, I've gotten myself into a lot of trouble, especially in corporate jobs where, you know, you say exactly how you feel in the moment. It's, if it's not measured, right? If, if you don't say it properly, if you don't say it with the right tonality, if you don't say it in the right way, sometimes that can offend the wrong people and those people have sway over your career. So there have been several instances where I've said something out loud where, you know, an executive has said something in a public meeting with 50, 60, 100 people present where I've said, that's bullshit and nonsense and I don't believe you. And I got called out privately afterwards saying, hey, we need to have a conversation about this. And that's happened throughout my career where I was like, oh, that's probably not a good idea, right? Like I should probably figure out a way to manage this a lot better. But the way that I grew up, it was like, hey, I'm going to call you out on that. That's nonsense. And then we debate about it and then we resolve it and then we're fine. But that's not great in a career. So you, I had to learn how to manage that a lot better to make sure that I could express concern the right way without offending someone, without making someone looking bad, without making them feel bad in a certain way, and still being persuasive enough to convince them of my point. That's what I had to learn over my career. Uh, and so that's really been my journey to try and get better. I'm still, granted, I'm still working at it. I'm not great at it yet, but negotiation and conflict resolution is one of those things where I feel like it's a, it's a practice. It's not a, like yoga, right? Like yoga, tai chi, any kind of martial arts. There is no end state of perfection. Negotiation and conflict resolution is a practice. It's something that you do on a regular basis that you keep practiced. Otherwise, you lose that skill set. And it's when, and whenever I say to people, okay, you've done a course, congratulations. Don't stop here. Read as much as you can. Do as much as you can. It's because it's not like riding a bike. You know, some people learn a skill and they're like, oh, it's like riding a bike. I'll just pick it up again. It's not like that. As soon as you stop that skill set, as soon as you stop practicing it, you get worse. So you've got to continually practice just to maintain it and keep it going. So do you find when people are learning learning negotiations or learning how to negotiate better, uh, that it's an active practice kind of thing? I know you're kind of hinting at that, but it's, you know, to practice these methods and these tactics and that sort of thing, you have to, you have to be thinking about them. It's not just, a, it's not just conversing like every, every day. Yeah, it's, you have to consciously be thinking about what your strategy is for the conversation. And I think that's the big difference between relaxed conversation like you and I are having now versus a negotiation in general. Relaxed conversation, we're just going to see where the conversation takes us. There's no real idea of where it's going to go. It's just because we like chatting with each other. We want to learn more about each other, that kind of stuff. But within negotiation and conflict resolution, there is an end state that we want to get to in terms of a resolution. Right, So we want to achieve something, we want to secure something, we want to buy something, we want to sell something, we want to resolve a conflict, whatever it might be, there is a point that we want to get to. If you and I were just having a relaxed conversation, we may never get there. So building a strategy and a plan for that process is really, really important in a negotiation. And being able to follow that is really important. Now, 
there's going to be deviation throughout the conversation, right? You, we may go here, we may go there, but we've still got to keep focused on where that end state is so that we can eventually wind our way up that. Yeah, awesome. Do you ever find uh, in your personal life that because you're an expert in negotiation that, that people have like barriers or walls up when they're 100%. conversing with you? When the owner of Negotiations Ninja calls you and says, you want to buy my negotiation training, immediately there's the company name in and of itself creates a barrier. And unfortunately, I think the word negotiation comes with a lot of baggage, right? Like when people hear that or they hear conflict resolution, there's tension that immediately exists there. So I feel like for a lot of people when they, when they hear from me or we start having a conversation that's maybe more conflict oriented, like we're trying to resolve a business issue between us, I think naturally a lot of people are like, okay, what's this guy gonna come with? I gotta be ready for this. Or they immediately shut down and they're like, I don't wanna have a conversation with you. Give me someone else to talk to. So overcoming that and making people feel more comfortable has been a big part of the way I drive business and also how I resolve conflict in my daily life. Because when people you know, see, oh, Mark, you published a book on negotiation. You own a negotiation training company. I don't want to talk to you about this. It becomes pretty rough. So I just got to try and make people feel comfortable. Yeah. When you have these tools and skills in your, in your, in your tool belt, um, I feel like you have an advantage. Is that, is that fair to say over? For sure, yeah. no question. Yeah, I mean, a trained person at anything is gonna be significantly more well-prepared than an untrained person. It would be like it, you start a fight in a bar and you don't realize that the person you started a fight with is an MMA fighter. You're gonna get the shit kicked out of you. Right. No, we all are, right? It's gonna happen immediately. But if you train, you will be much better prepared for that kind of a thing. And that's the same thing for anything. You're a golfer, right? Like you're going to play someone who doesn't play golf regularly. You're going to smash them. But if that person trains and commits themselves and gets better and learns how to play golf, they're going to do much better. And then over time, they're going to improve. So yeah, for sure. I definitely have more of an advantage, but so does everyone who practices anything regularly. So specific to negotiation, obviously, um, in that case, there, there's got to be there's got to be ethics involved, right? Because you have you have ability over somebody else in something to, to or an ability to control them or persuade them or whatever the case may be. How, uh, what role does ethics play? In man, ethics is such a big, it's such a big topic, and so is trust, and so is fairness. Because my my first response is maybe let me ask you a a clarifying question. What do you mean by the implementation of ethics? I think ultimately, um, well, I, definition, I suppose, of ethics maybe uh, in this case might be that, you know, um, if you're able to persuade somebody or manipulate somebody uh, to do something that maybe they don't want to. Ah. Does it leave them better off than they were before? I suppose that would be the uh, decision maker of the person who's decision of the That's person. the key, mm. right? So, and this is, a, I think, a, the big difference between where a lot of people get hung up is, is it persuasion or is it manipulation? Persuasion is exactly the same as manipulation, except the end state of persuasion 
is that you, as the person I'm interacting with, is left better off than before, and you want to engage with me. Manipulation is the same thing, except I'm taking advantage of that situation, and I'm leaving you worse off than before. So when people say ethics, I think it's really important for us to decide, okay, well, what do we mean by ethics? What do we mean by manipulation? What do we mean by persuasion? Ethics is really important in any kind of business transaction, commercial dealings, or anyone that you're dealing with on a one-on-one -on -one basis when you're negotiating. When we say ethics applied to business, to treat someone fairly, to treat someone uh, well during that process, 100%. But even that, when you really scratch past the surface of that, we get into some philosophical debates about what is fair really? Because is fair based on how you perceive what's fair? Or is fair based on how I perceive what's fair? Or is fair some third party judgment that we've seen in the industry about, okay, this is what is fair. So if we have to have that discussion, then we probably have to talk about, okay, well, what is fair? How do we decide what fair is? How do we judge the value or the outcome of this discussion? All of those things I think are really important as a part of the process. Being ethical in your business practices though is fundamental, right? I mean, otherwise people just aren't gonna, they're just not gonna, if, they, if you feel like I've had one over on you, you're just not gonna do business with me again, right? And now you and I, especially, have done multiple projects together, this being, I don't know, the fourth one or the third one or something like that. So you would just, that would never happen, right? You would never invite me on your show. It would just never be that way. So I think making people feel like they've gotten a good deal out of it is really important to the negotiation process. And I think that's an ethical way to be able to do it. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like there's so much gray area when you're dealing. For sure. Always, though, when you're dealing with two parties that have different yeah. perspectives, right? So. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, in negotiation, you have to decide as one part of the negotiation party and me as the other part of the negotiation party. When you leave at the end of the negotiation, you have to be comfortable with the deal that you've gotten. So when I train people, because you, by the way, you're never going to know for sure whether or not you've gotten a good deal. Never ever, because I'm never going to disclose to you all of the inner workings of the transaction and my business to you, and you're never going to disclose that to me. So at the end of the day, we're never going to know for sure. But you have to feel still comfortable leaving that discussion going, I think I got a pretty good deal out of this. I think I did pretty well. But that's based on what your goals were going into the negotiation, in much the same way that if I leave the negotiation, I've got to feel comfortable leaving that negotiation going, oh, I achieved what I set out to achieve. And so one thing that we teach people is before you even go into the negotiation, have an idea of what it is you want to achieve. Most people don't know, right? Like most people are winging it. Most people go, well, I want to get a good deal. That actually doesn't mean anything, right? Like congratulations, you want a good deal. So does everyone. The problem is, is you haven't defined what a good deal means for you. So when we say, okay, I want a good deal, I say, what does that mean for you? Does it mean you want to make more money? Does it mean you want to reduce risk? Does it mean you want to improve communication? Does it mean you want to improve the way that the project is run? Does it mean you want to reduce scope creep? 
could be a bunch of different things that you want to improve in that relationship. If you achieve those things and you've got sort of parameters for success for those, now you've gotten a good deal in the negotiation. But if the idea was for you to wing it and then just leave there feeling good, that's where it becomes dangerous for you as the participant. Because if I can notice that and I know you don't have any goals, then it's very easy for me to manipulate you into just making you feel a certain way. And this is the problem that I think a lot of people have when they hear about negotiation is they say, well, I just want to feel like I've gotten a good deal and I want you to feel like you've gotten a good deal. Then my question is, well, what are you basing that on? If it's truly just a feeling, that's dangerous. Now you really are opened up to manipulation. But if you've got something objective that you can measure the result against, then it becomes much easier. So you always recommend going into any given negotiation or conversation uh, with, a, with a goal in mind? For sure. Yeah, no question. Because you want to make sure that you've achieved the thing that you set out to achieve. Otherwise, why would be, why would be having a negotiation in the first place? Right? Like if it's just to make me feel a certain way, this is the problem that I have with, I'm going to say something fairly controversial that may offend a few of your audience members. This is why I have a problem with win-win negotiation in general, because the idea of win-win presupposes that both parties can actually win. That's not possible because we don't know, right? I'm not saying that both parties can't get mutual benefit, but both parties can't actually win because we don't know what the value that you've gotten out of it is, because you would need to open up everything to me to be able to do that, and you don't know what the value is that I've achieved because I would need to open up everything to you. And so even if we were going to do that, even if we were going to open that up to each other, then we have to get into the fairness discussion and all that. It's just, not, it's just not feasible. Now, can there be mutual benefit? Yes, but that is for you to decide and for me to decide independently. Otherwise, there's no way to be able to determine if the negotiation is successful at all. Right. And even if we were to open up to each other about everything that we, you know, disclose everything about each other or the, the deal that we're doing, right. even then it's subjective. I'd value my, my wins over yours, correct? Well, let's just say that like, then we get into the concept of how much do you trust me really, right? Like if you decide that you're going to open up everything to me and be completely transparent with me, which is what some people choose to do. How do you know for sure that I'm not going to use that information against you? Now, I'm not saying that people are out to hurt you, but some people are, mm -hmm. right? So exposing yourself like that would be, would, would be like posting naked pictures of yourself on the internet and expecting not to get hate. Mm. It's very silly, right? There are going to be some people that go, ew. And there are going to be some people that go, hey, cool, good for you. Like, that was brave. I appreciate that. Those people that go, hey, good for you. Nice people. Good people. Those people that go, ew, and publicly say that, probably not the people that you want to do that kind of thing with. But that's the same thing. You're exposing yourself to me when you show me that deal, that show me all of the data, all of the information. When you're completely 100% transparent with me, you are putting all of your trust in me. I just, I find it very dangerous. 
I really hope that people don't choose to do that. Now, there are pieces of information that you can be transparent about, and that comes with a lot of practice and training, but I would caution people to be 100% transparent. It's dangerous. So do you find that the more training people have, the, the, obviously the more awareness they have towards you know, them being manipulated or, or maybe they know that they have the lower hand in the, in the relationship. Um, but also, is there ever the case where you know, they have more of a barrier because they're just aware of these things that could happen to them? Most people don't know. I think that's the scary part, is a lot of people think they're great at negotiation and they're not. So they've gotten what they believe are good results based on their past business dealings or negotiating selling used goods on the internet. And so they think they're good at getting a deal. The reality is you, that's the feeling you have. Unless you've measured that against something objective, like goals that you've set prior to going into the negotiation, you, you just don't know. And so there's a, the two most common people that we see prior to coming into the training are the people that think they're great at negotiation. And in fact, there's three people. The people that think that they're great at negotiation that actually aren't. The people that aren't great at negotiation but have never even considered that negotiation is something that they should improve on and then the people that are actually great at negotiation but think that they're not. And those people are the most effective because they have a learner's mindset. They're like, okay, I, I think I'm okay at this. I've got a lot to learn, something that I really want to improve on. It's something that I really want to get better at. And you know this from your golfing experience. The more and more that you learn and the more and more that you practice, the more and more you realize, I know nothing. Right? There's so much more to be able to learn. And that third group of people is the easiest to be able to train because they come in with that open mindset. The people that think they're great at negotiation but aren't actually great at negotiation, oftentimes that's just a reset for them to be like, oh, there's so much more that I'm not aware of. And the folks that aren't great at negotiation and haven't even considered that negotiation is something that they want to improve on, a whole world opens up to them. So uh, yeah, I, the question of, is it a barrier? I, I think as long as you come in with the right mindset on learning in general, it doesn't have to be negotiation, could be finance or anything that you want to improve on in your business, then it becomes much easier to be able to do that. Like for example, this year one of my major goals for my business is um, seek improvement, not money the way that that manifests itself in everything that I do is I'm always seeking to improve in the thing that I'm currently working on. Which means that I have to be, try to be, it's not easy for me, I have to try to be humble enough to be able to say, I don't know shit, right? I know nothing about this thing. I need to come into this with an open mind or as open as I can be and go, I don't know. That happened with me specifically around uh, SEO. I used, I used to use and I used to own a content agency prior to Negotiations Ninja and shut that down a while ago and thought that I knew quite a lot about SEO, search engine optimization for the listeners. I thought that I knew. I was one of those people that thought they knew but actually didn't know very much. 
And then I started working with another agency that was trying to help me with some of my SEO for the business. And I came to, a, like almost came to blows with their head SEO person because I was really unhappy about the way that things were going. But I had to check myself in that moment and go, okay, am I seeking improvement here or am I being overly aggressive? I was not seeking improvement. And when I was able to humble myself enough to be able to go, I need to check myself on this, and there's so much that opened up and the results so far have been phenomenal, right? And just the ability to say, I don't really know anything is really important. Yeah, absolutely, integral. I think, um, it, th I mean, that's, that's a key, key element of, of wanting to learn anything or wanting to improve anything is, is yeah. understanding first that you don't know anything about it. Um, I think it's really interesting that group of people that you're talking about that think they're really good at something, but you know, they're obviously not, or they could have lots of improvement to go forward with. Um, I always, I was thinking back to, um, never split the difference by mm, Chris Voss. Great. You know, I think, I think pr I'm going to assume that the, most of the, the, you know, young entrepreneurs and, and experienced entrepreneurs listening, that would be their reference to negotiations or introduction to negotiations. Um, what else, you know, like, uh, what I'm, I'm, I guess I'm speaking to competition for you. You know, it seems you have a best-selling book, you have a, a incredibly listened to podcast. Um, what does competition landscape look like for you? It's massive because every business management consultant believes they can teach anyone to negotiate. So, and in like any consultant believes that. So the competition in my world is huge. The barrier to entry is very low. It's like starting a digital marketing agency, right? The barrier to entry is super low. Getting better is really, really hard. Being the top is virtually impossible. Uh, I'm very fortunate in that I've had a lot of success with like really early on with some incredible clients that have given me crazy testimonials and really shown me a lot of love and favor and I've been really lucky with that. The competition in the training industry in general is massive, especially now with AI, especially with technology, and we are fairly, I don't want to say anti-technology, but we don't implement or use a lot of technology in what we do because we believe that the best negotiation training is live, either live online or live and in person because you get to handle a lot of questions. So yes, there's a ton of competition, but not to the extent that you would think that it matters, if that makes sense. Because there are so many people who believe they can do what we do, it becomes pretty easy to see, at least on the surface, who actually knows and who, who is the best at what they do. And when it comes to what we do specifically, there's maybe seven or eight companies in North America that can do what we can do at the level that we can do it. Right. Um, so we feel pretty confident in our ability to compete at that level. Now, do we want to stay there? Absolutely not. We want to obviously get much better and improve and all that kind of stuff. So this year, for example, we were ranked number six in the world for what we do. 
and we want to obviously improve on that. But in terms of competition at that level, and by the way, everyone at that level doesn't really give a shit what anyone else at that level is doing. They're just doing what they do best and continue to improve at what they're doing, which makes competition at that level so hard because they're not really worried about me or anyone else. They're just doing what they do best. Wow. Among so many incredible other clients on your website, I, I always get drawn to the U.S. Army one. <laughs> yeah. Is there any, that among any others, is there any unique stories in any of your, any of the people or companies that you've trained um, and kind of where they've gone with it? For sure. That one was super lucky because it was the U.S. Army War College in Florida. Um, we had a bunch of lieutenant colonels that wanted to learn more about negotiation. I was very lucky in that a friend of mine is actually in that program. He's recently retired. I believe, I think he's recently retired. Ernie, if you've recently retired, sorry. Um, I, and he invited me to be able to come and speak to that group. And it was, yeah, phenomenal experience because, and, and I didn't think about this going into it. You would assume that there's not much negotiation when a colonel tells you what to do, right? He tells his team, he tells the soldiers what to do. There's actually quite a lot. There's, there's a lot of conflict resolution. There's a lot of negotiation, and especially at a peer level as well, a lot of debate that happens at that level. So that was a super interesting conversation. We've done a bunch of training for large financial institutions and large marketing institutions as well, uh, large oil and gas companies. The one thing that's consistent amongst all of them, instead of pointing to one specific story, the one thing that's consistent amongst all of them is that if they implement the training, the return on that training is insane. And that's, I think, the hardest thing for a lot of people to grasp when it comes to something like negotiation is when I say, hey, if you do this thing, your return on investment could be in the millions or tens of millions of dollars. For a lot of people, they really struggle to wrap their head around that. But the reality is for a large organization, that could be one deal, right? For a large um, organization that does it well across multiple departments, we're talking insane amounts of money and insane amount of risk reduction. For the average entrepreneur, though, who's just starting out and they want to really improve their negotiation skills because they realize they're giving too much up or they're taking on too much risk or those kinds of things, the return on investment of any negotiation training you do, and it doesn't have to be with us, could be with anyone, but make sure they're good, <laughs> uh, is that you could save your business, right? Like you may be operating on margins that are this thin. Do you need to? Could you negotiate a better deal? You may be taking on way too much risk where the operational risk of doing a certain thing if something goes wrong is the end of your company, do you need to? Could you negotiate your way out of that? So when a lot of people hear like the big grandiose examples of the Fortune 500s and the army and the blah, 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 they're like, oh, wow, that doesn't apply to me at all. I'm not really relating to this. Think about how it could affect your business. When, when especially founders and startup entrepreneurs hear that, and they think about how much more money they could make, how much more margin they could make, how much less work they would have to do, how much less operational risk they would have to take, or legal risk, the results can be awesome.
Right, because it affects everything, right? Every every aspect of business. Everything, especially if you're like struggling to get bills paid, right? Like people are late on payments or there hasn't been a good mutual action plan that we've agreed to on a project or we don't have a good Gantt chart for the project that we're going into. All of that stuff is negotiation. Managing those expectations, moving that along, that's all a negotiation process. Awesome. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine uh, being a successful negotiator, um, not unsimilar to being a successful entrepreneur in, in some cases, it, it uh, has an element to do with, with confidence, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, uh, and so I'm curious, do you ever experience, um, you're training all these incredible companies and you have so many years of experience, but do you ever experience uh, like a lack of confidence yourself or, or imposter syndrome, anything like that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I still experience imposter syndrome. I don't think that ever, does that ever go away? I don't know if it ever goes away. Yeah, I, especially when you start, right? When you start, you're like, why would, why would anyone ever listen to me? Who am I to tell people how to negotiate? I am a fraud, right? Like I am an imposter. And you're waiting for the day that someone's like, this guy's full of shit. He has no idea what he's talking about. I did, it definitely lessens over time, but I still get those feelings, absolutely. And, I, and for anyone that's listening to this going like, oh, that's not good news, I, I think you just learn how to deal with it a lot better. Um, confidence, though, is interesting because confidence isn't just about how you feel. It's also about how you show up, especially in negotiations. Confidence, the feeling of confidence comes from your preparation, your practice, your experience, your knowledge, your skill set, your ability, your education, all of those things that go into building up how you feel about a certain thing. But just because you feel that way doesn't necessarily mean you're going to show up that way. So your body language in negotiation to show up confidently is equally and I would say probably even more important than how you actually feel on the inside. So even if you, and what I mean by this is even if you're not feeling confident because, oh, you think I haven't planned enough or prepared enough, or you just have some anxiety around it, you should still show up as confident because confidence, like all things in communication, is a feedback loop. The more confident that I act, the more confident you perceive me to be, then you treat me as though someone who, I am someone who is confident, then I feel more confident. So if I act confident, you perceive me as a confident person, you treat me as a confident person, I feel more confident. That's all it is, it's a feedback loop. So for those people that really struggle with confidence, fake it. And that's one of the only things that I think you can do in your life where fake it till you make it actually works. Faking confidence builds more confidence. And actually, there is research around this. A great researcher named Amy Cuddy, she's a psychologist. She's done a bunch of work around this. I recommend reading her work where she talks about showing up the right way. It's all it is. It's a feedback loop. So, yes. Confidence is something that needs to be worked on. I'm very lucky in that confidence is nothing that I've really ever had to work on too much. 
primarily, I think, because of how I was brought up and conflict was always a part of what we did when we grew up. And so I was never afraid of those kinds of situations. But for those people that are feeling a certain way, it's a legitimate feeling, right? Like if they're feeling fear or they're feeling afraid uh, of the conflict that may ensue or they're nervous or they're anxious, what I would say to those people is, yes, do your planning and preparation and strategy, but also you gotta show up a certain way, which means you've gotta practice showing up that way. Stand in front of the mirror, stand in front of a recording device, practice how you're gonna to speak to someone, use the body language that you have available to you, you will start to improve. And when you show up to the conversation, to the speech, to the negotiation, whatever you're nervous about, and you act that way, then people start to perceive you that way. The interesting thing about it is, um, and people are like, well, how do I practice that? I'm, you know, I'm still me. I, like, I'm still nervous. I, like, I feel like I'm being someone else if I'm doing that. Uh, yeah, you are, right? And then people say, well, I feel like I'm, I'm not being genuine and I'm not being sincere within that process. And I think we maybe can get into a conversation about this, but like this whole idea of showing up as, your, as yourself in the negotiation, especially if you're someone who lacks confidence and you're really introverted in that discussion, probably not the best idea. Showing up as yourself, that genuine, sincere you, hasn't gotten you good results so far. <laughs> so you probably need to show up as someone else for a little bit, practice that person for a little bit so that you can get comfortable feeling that way so that you can show up as a better version of you. Yeah, and similar to that constant feedback loop, loop you were talking about, I imagine it's kind of a constant adaptation of, you know, you're constantly responding to what the counterparty is, is expressing. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. Or adapting as you go. Absolutely. Right. Awesome. Um, I read that you grew, or sorry, you were born into a family of entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, did you always know that you were going to start your own business? No. No, I wanted to be uh, a graphic designer when I was a teenager. Um, when I was deciding where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do. So maybe I'll, I'll back up. My, my uncle is an entrepreneur. My grandfather was an entrepreneur. His father was an entrepreneur. All of those cousins were entrepreneurs. So the whole family is just sort of been that way uh, for a long time. It was never something that was not an option, but it was always positioned as, as an option, not as a must-do thing. My dad really wanted me to be an accountant. I actually still think he thinks I'm an accountant. <laughs> my dad wanted me to be an accountant, and so in university, I wanted to do what my dad wanted me to do and make my dad proud like everyone does. And so I decided I'm gonna go and do an accounting degree. And so I started off in accounting and hated it. Like the worst, I hated it so much. And immediately after the first semester, I was like, this is not gonna be for me, I'm out. So I changed majors and ended up going to a different school and getting actually a degree in entrepreneurial management and then tried a bunch of different things in school and after school, bombed at a number of different businesses, and then sort of through evolution, 
went into this and a result of the dare in the bar. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's always been an option in my family. And I think I want my kids to have that as well. Like I want my kids to have that as an option. I never want to force them into a specific career. And at the same time, I, I want them to choose wisely as well. So we're always positioning as best we can with the kids. Like, this is what you could do here, and this is what you could do here, and presenting them with a bunch of different options that we think are great. But the goal is to try and just be the best at what you do, whatever it is. If you decide to, you want to be an artist, be the best at that thing. If you decide you want to be a photographer, be the best at that thing, whatever it is. I feel like there's so many parallels between entrepreneurship and, uh, and negotiation in general. It's perseverance and, and adaptation and all these different things. So I imagine everything you've done along the way has kind of gotten you where you are today. Um, when, when you're dealing with uh, training on conflict, um, what, are some of the, what are some of the most common questions that you get? The most common question that we get for conflict resolution in general is how will they think of me differently, right? Because especially if it's someone that you've had repetitive conflict with, they know you to show up a certain way. If you're really bad at conflict management, you've probably avoided a lot of conflict. You've probably just conceded a lot to the other person. You've probably just taken whatever it is they've said you should take. And when you show up a different way and sort of stand your ground and draw a few lines in the sand and you're able to negotiate on those lines, the big concern that a lot of people have around that is, will they think I'm greedy? Will they think I'm an asshole? Will they think I'm difficult to work with? All of those fears start to pop up in a lot of different people. And that's fair because you have shown up a different way for a really long time. When people say those things though, we've just got to work through negotiating with yourself before you go into the negotiation so that you actually believe in that next step that you have to take. And oftentimes that means taking baby steps into managing a bigger conflict. So it could be asking for a deal at Starbucks, right, for your next coffee. It could be asking a loved one for more time. Just little incremental steps that you take to ask for more and stand your ground better so that for the big conflict that you need to manage, you're more well-prepared, you're more well-practiced, and it just takes a lot of role-playing. I imagine that questioning yourself when you're going into these scenarios makes you a better person, negotiator, obviously, but obvious, uh, makes you more confident, as we talked about before, and all these different things as well. Um, your personal values, bringing those into what you do, how, how do your personal values and what you do for a living uh, intertwine? They are very much intertwined. Um, well, the, the whole win-win thing that we spoke about earlier, that's a personal thing, right? Like I'm going against the grain when I say things like that out loud. The overwhelming majority of negotiation trainers, if they hear that, are gonna go, this guy is insane. He has no idea what he's talking about. 
but it's a personal value that we have just because it doesn't really make a lot of sense to us. Like once you scratch past the surface, it's like, I don't know if this really jives with business in general. Um, and I'm also very religious as well, right? So it, I bring, I try to bring as best I can without being overbearing a lot of those same values to the discussions that I have with other people. Um, no one wants to hear a Christian slam the Bible on the table and tell them about Jesus, but I can try to at least act a certain way. Now, let me preface this by saying, I am a terrible Christian. <laughs> I have made some horrific mistakes. I probably drink too much and I'm not the best example, but there is an intention. <laughs> there, I'm trying to bring a better version of me to business and to the negotiation that is more Christ-like in those kinds of things. Uh, but I fail. I fail every day. And so in terms of personal values, that's, that's probably the biggest one that I need to work at personally. You know, it's enough for me to say the rosary a few times, but if I can't really bring that kind of value to my interactions with people, then what good is it really? Have you always found that synergy between your personal values and what you do for work to be important? Maybe indirectly I have. I've been more conscious of it over the last five or six years now that I've been running my own thing. But I'm trying to have a more integrated life than separate lives. Like a lot of people, including me, live separate lives, right? You're at home dad versus at work business owner versus at church Christian versus at bar other someone. These are different people. And for the longest time, I've noticed that I'm, I don't actually like that. I want, I want that person to be as well integrated as I can, which means I screw up in the process trying to integrate those people together, but also learn a bunch about myself and about the roles that I play in the world and in business and life as a part of that too. I love that. I think that's, that's you know, the, something everybody struggles with is they're, all, they're different people, they act differently in different scenarios. And, and the ideal would obviously be to, be to get to be the same person across all of your different lives. We can hope, man. We can <laughs> hope. I would love for that to happen. So what are some of the tactics that you use to kind of try and get there? I think it's just an awareness thing for myself, just being aware of, of how I'm acting a certain way and trying to start the day intentionally about, you know, be, be more Christ-like, be more of the better person I should be in those kinds of situations. It doesn't always work out. Like I'm a dick a lot of the time and I'm, I'm a jerk to some people and I'm, I say what I want most of the time and a lot of the time that gets me in trouble or it offends people. And then when I tell people, hey, I'm a Christian, they go, what, <laughs> really, you? And that's bad, right? Like for me to reflect on that and go, yeah, you shouldn't have responded that way. That's on me, right, that you responded that way. So that awareness, is really good for me to be able to go, okay, I need to adjust. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So those constant reminders is kind uh, of... And, and fortunately enough, I get a lot of reminders. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the structure of your business, you, do, you, do you have staff or is it contractors? How does that work? Mostly contractors. Yeah, I'm very fortunate in that um, from a previous business that I've owned, I've been able to bring a lot of great contractors with me. Uh, and they're still very much a, a very integral part of my team. But they are running their own things. You know, one runs a great T-shirt design business. The other one runs a marketing business. The other one does a bunch of project management. The other one's a social media manager. They're all sort of doing their own thing, but they're awesome. They're awesome. And I wouldn't be able to do it without them. And for anyone who's starting out, like, I think it's really important to realize you don't, especially today, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it would have been different. But the gig economy is so huge that you don't really need full-time staff, nor do people want to be really on your staff. Like there are a lot of people who just kind of want to do their own thing. They, and they want the freedom and the flexibility to be able to do that. Cool, that's awesome. And it allows me to be flexible and them to be flexible. It's great. Yeah. It's super interesting. I've definitely heard both sides of the coin, you know, employers who love having full-time staff versus love having contractors. Why would you say that it's beneficial from, uh, from an employer perspective to uh, look at the contractor model? I think it's cheaper, number one, especially if you're, you know, you don't want to bring on additional overhead, right? Like I don't, I don't need full-time staff, right? So for, if I, someone's working 20 hours of work as a contractor in my business, I don't really need them to be full-time. Mm. Why would I impose that additional cost on myself? It doesn't make sense. And then also, I think the flexibility of it is way better. I find the quality, this is gonna sound super strange, and I forgive me for all of the full-time workers out there, I find the quality of work that I get from contractors to be at a much higher level than full-time workers. Maybe that's just me. I don't know, but I just, it gets, it's better. Why do you think that is? I don't know, because they're running their own thing and they're invested in their own thing. They need that work to keep building their portfolio. Like I work with a lot of creatives. Most of them are in marketing or uh, design or something like that. And they're building their portfolio and they're, they need that additional work to grow their own businesses. Awesome. And that, that means that they're gonna put their best foot forward with me, and I'm very reasonable with them. I don't know, just works out. Now, there are gonna be some people that watch this and go, this guy's full of shit. It's way better to have full-time worker. In fact, it's cheaper to have full-time workers. So for sure, we're gonna have like a, let's agree to disagree moment. Um, but it's worked out for me. It's maybe not for everyone, but it's worked out for me. So in the importance of, of, you know, interpersonal relationships and culture is, is the common, you know, word used these days, uh, which I agree with fully. But um, how, how do you foster that in, in a group of, of contractors rather than full time? That's a really good question. I think I'm really lucky in that the people that are working as contractors with me right now had previously worked together as well. So there's a history there and they all tend to get along with each other. Uh, but there's also an expectation that I set very early on in the relationship of saying, if you want something, ask for it. If you need help, ask for it. 
I'm not here to babysit you. You're not here to babysit me. Tell me what you want. I'll tell you what I want. We'll figure it out. Maybe that's because of the history sort of that I have and the way that I grew up, but I encourage all of the people that work with me to say, hey, Mark, you're being a dick, or hey, this is an unreasonable request. And when people feel open enough to be able to say this is an unreasonable request or you're being a jerk, it becomes pretty easy to manage people because then they can just say how they feel. And, and, and I don't get offended about that. So if you tell me this is unreasonable, I'm gonna go, okay, what makes it unreasonable? Well, this timeline is crazy. Okay, well, what would be more reasonable? This, okay, well, now we're negotiating, right? I can't really do that, that's too late. What about this? Oh, if you give me more resources, I could do that. Great, let's do that. Back and forth. How many of your contractors have taken your, uh, taken your negotiation training? Oh, <laughs> three, okay. I think. Yeah, and they've all seen the videos, so they've probably gone over it a few times. But I'm also, like, I feel like I'm also very relaxed with them and just saying, if it's not, and nothing, I've tried to build a business that nothing is ever overly pressing in what I do. Like, if there's so much of a deadline that I need to call you immediately right away and this has got to get done right now, I fucked up. That means that I didn't manage my timelines, I didn't do very well on that. That's on me, not on you. So there's really nothing in my business that is a burning issue, like this has to get done immediately, drop everything, that maybe happens once a year. So it's, I don't know, it's kind of worked out. I'm, but I, look, I'm really lucky. Like the people that I have that work with me as contractors are phenomenal people. They're amazing. All of them different values, all of them different ideas on what they want to do, all of them different businesses, phenomenal people. Awesome. Um, you do a lot of things, you know, to, to support your business. You, you obviously do your training courses, uh, you do one-on-one -on -one training or virtual training, you do have your podcast, you have your blog, you, I know you're active on LinkedIn. What does the average day look like for you? Mostly sales work. So I try to include at least some sales work every single day in what I do. And what I mean by sales is calling people, emailing people, messaging people, saying, hey, this is going to sound, this is a very reduced pitch, but hey, do you have a problem with negotiation on your team? Do you have a problem with conflict? Do you want to get your people trained? Do you want to make more money? Do you want to reduce risk? Those kinds of conversations. So the, the vast majority of what I'm trying to do is conversations around that and trying to have as many of those conversations as I can. And then the rest is usually filled with me doing something to do with marketing, whether it's the blog posts, whether it's the podcast, whether it's any of that stuff. But a lot of that stuff, any of the coordination, any of the scheduling, all of that is handled by my team, the contractors that I work with. And we've built a phenomenal system. So it's really just me splurting out an idea I have on social media going, I wonder if this will hit today. And then sometimes it does, and sometimes it bombs completely. So 
that's usually what it is. It's mostly just me doing sales work and then building up to a course that I would deliver. So there are weeks at a time where I'm not active on any of the marketing stuff that I'm sh I should be doing because I'm delivering content, I'm delivering training, I'm traveling to a conference, whatever it might be. So my, my schedule kind of works in sprints where we'll go crazy, 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 and then it'll plateau for a little bit and dip off, and then it'll go crazy, 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 and then plateau for a little bit and dip off. And it's this cool sort of natural rhythm of chaos and then catch up, chaos and catch up. Would you, would you say you're organic, um, so let's call it like the content side of things, you know, the blogs, the, the uh, podcast, that sort of thing, or your outreach uh, is more beneficial to, to your sales? I don't think you can have one without the other because the content builds the brand and the outreach builds the immediate sales, but the content supports that. Right, so if I just reach out to you and say, hey, buy my negotiation stuff, but then there's no content on what I've done and what I'm doing, I have no personal brand to speak of, then there's less credibility. You perceive me as less credible, which makes it less likely that we're gonna have a conversation. So I don't think you can have one without the other. I think you've gotta have both. And when I tell, especially founders like, hey, you gotta really ramp up your social media, your content game, you've gotta really ramp that up. They go, oh, I don't have the time. I was like, well, f then forget about it, right? Like if you, if you think you don't have the time to build a brand, why are you building a business? Your business is gonna be supported by the brand one day, hopefully. But if you can't separate time or invest money to be able to do that, don't even bother starting the business. That's a, that's a really outrageous take that I just made. Like when a lot of people hear that, they're like, well, I can do my business without establishing marketing and all that stuff. Yeah, you, you, I'm sure you could try. And some people have been lucky enough to be able to do it, but man, it's hard, especially today. Because if, if I don't see you, I don't even know that you're here. Yeah, 100%, yeah. Yeah, that I love that idea of you know content being your backbone. You know something that's it's almost like your your portfolio. You know, for sure. So you you outreach, people are aware now. They go to look, and you don't have anything there. I yeah, yeah, yeah. And it has to be relevant, and it has to be recent, and it has to be good. And if you don't have any of those things in your business, like oh, we wrote five blog posts two years ago. What are you doing, man? Like, why are you? It's so silly. It's so dumb. Now, I'm biased as well because I also believe in marketing, right? Um, I owned a content agency at one point in time. So when you, know, when you hear that view, you're hearing a biased view. But it's worked. So it's not that biased. Exactly. What does success look like to you? That's changed recently. Um, Success for me is about improvement and not money. Progress and not money. And that has recently changed. Because last year, the year before, I was very focused on achieving certain financial goals and financial metrics. 
which has which is still something I got to measure and I got to manage for sure. But that being the goal of success wasn't good. It, it sort of created a lot of weird friction and tension and actually it just didn't just didn't jive with sort of who I am. So now the goal is of success is seek improvement, not money. And I think if I can look through everything that I do with that lens of seeking improvement, then everything becomes easier. Then the money comes, right? Then the money is easy. If you're getting better at what you're doing and people are seeing that you're getting better at what you're doing, I don't know, maybe I'm naive, but I think that's, a, that's an easy win. Was there a catalyst that led to that like, change in, in, in definition? For sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think there is, there is just a feeling of lack of personal improvement and lack of personal progress. The money was great, right? Like, because that was the goal, we were making it. Uh, but there was something very big that was missing to that of like, okay, we've got the money, awesome, the bills are being paid, everyone's good, everyone's feeling good about things, right? I'm feeling good about the money, but I'm not feeling good about who I am or who I'm becoming because that had stagnated. So my progress, my ability had kind of gone flat and that sucks, right? To feel like you're not making personal progress is like the worst, for me, it's the worst feeling in the world. So that totally changed. I just decided at the beginning of this year I was not doing that anymore. And so far it's working out because I'm trying to do one thing every day to seek improvement and not money. And it could be with anything that I'm doing, but if I've noticed that I've actively and intentionally sought out to improve something about myself or my business or a relationship or communication with someone, I leave that day going, okay, that was pretty cool, right? I intentionally did that. I sought out action that delivered on that and I'm getting better. That's a cool feeling. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I think, I think the biggest problem with that, that earlier mindset is that you just get stuck in it for so long, you know, and you, and you forget, you forget about the personal until, until there is a catalyst or until there's somebody kind of wakes you up from there or you get to a point where, you know, it becomes too obvious that you can't not, right? So totally awesome. So what's next for you? Uh, take over the world. No. Um, what is next for me? I really like this seek improvement, not money thing. So I'm going to stick to that. Uh, for the foreseeable future. I love what I do. I'm very fortunate in that I do something every day that I really love and I'm passionate about it and I'm passionate about helping people. I don't really want to change that. I want that to get better. I want to improve at what I'm doing. So the goal is just to improve, get better at what I'm doing, keep delivering on what I'm doing, and when people hear that, they're like, oh, Mark, you're, you know, your company's ranked number six, you blah, blah, blah. Where do you go from here? Like, there's so much room to improve on. 
right? I got into a debate with someone the other day about game theory in negotiation. And I have some reservations about it. And then they showed me something where I went, oh, right, okay, interesting. I have to improve on this area. I don't know very much about it. I need to get better. And there's things like that around anything in the chosen topic that you specialize in, whether it's engineering or science or art or music, anything that you do, there is an aspect of that thing where if you're really honest with yourself, you would go, I actually don't know anything about this. And that's cool to find those areas and go, I think I'm gonna improve on that thing. I wanna do more of that. I love that. Being open-minded and, and realizing that you don't know anything about anything. Yeah, you don't know, like, and I don't, right? Like having that humility to go, there's a lot that I need to learn is a cool feeling. Awesome. Where can people follow you? Easiest place is LinkedIn. Just type in my name or go to our website, www.negotiations.ninja. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Mark. This is awesome. I think negotiations is, is a topic that people don't know that they don't know, right? So, so thanks so much for your insights and your personal experience. It's Thank invaluable. you for having me, man. Cheers. I really appreciate it.